Years ago, we, uh, as a pastoral team in session, felt that felt the need to um, to put together a an opportunity, an annual opportunity for um, for me to teach on some of our distinctives. One of the things we are passionate about here um, at TCPC is that you don't you don't have to be all in on every nuance of our doctrine and faith and practices in order to be a member of our congregation. And when you take uh, when you take your membership vows, there's five vows, and they're pretty they're pretty basic. Um, it's it's belief in gospel and desire to uh, join his church. Um, so what that means is that you can join our congregation, and um, you can join our congregation. And not be fully in on all of the different uh, doctrinal nuances. And, and, and we're really passionate about that. We're really passionate about maintaining that. But at the same time, we're very passionate about our theology and um, our practices. And so we constantly have an eye. Uh, the, the last, I don't know, couple years of new members class, our foundations weekend, um, every time we ask, we ask people to raise their hand um, if they, they're coming to us from a um, classic Reformed Presbyterian background, and it is very rare that we have people uh, joining our congregation who come from the PCA background. Uh, this, this class actually was the first time in a long time we even had anybody raise their hand. We had a few people who were coming to us from um, the PCA and other cities. But regardless, we recognize that um, as you come to our church, there's still a lot of good, good, good questions um, out there that need to be addressed. And so one of, the, one of the ways, we're always thinking about ways to kind of educate our people and, and help you understand where we're coming from on things. And one of those, um, which has turned into a neat thing, is to shut down adult Sunday school in the month of May and let us do a combined um, teaching time where, I, where I, get, I get an opportunity to lecture. It lets me kind of scratch that teaching itch um, in my own life. I don't get to do Sunday school and things like that very often. So it's, it's, it's nice for me to be able to get to um, prepare and, and teach, which is di- different than preaching. So it lets me scratch that itch. But, but more importantly, um, it's an opportunity for us to kind of teach some of our doctrines. We record all of these uh, talks and then put them online so that we can keep referencing back to them. So every year we choose uh, something that we get a lot of questions about. Two years ago, um, we did infant baptism. Um, obviously, many people come to our congregation um, with a lot of questions about infant baptism. Maybe that wasn't two days. Yeah, it was two years ago. Two, about infant baptism. So we, 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 we did that. We recorded that. We put that online. Um, last year, we did a, a May series on um, the doctrine of election, predestination, another thing a lot of people have a lot of questions about. We did that. This year, um, instead of zeroing in on a finer, um, nuanced doctrine, um, I felt the need to go to step back a little bit and, 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 and cover an entire theological system that really governs everything that we believe. You will hear um, the word covenant theology around here a lot, but a lot of people don't necessarily know what it means. And in my preaching, um, you will hear me preach covenantally a lot, and you may not even pick up on that. Um, you'll, you'll, you, but you probably have noticed that so often um, what we try to do is, is, is weave together the kind of interconnectedness of the Scriptures and, and, and show, um, show Christ and, and the New Testament as a fulfillment of the Old and all that stuff. 
And these are all covenantal theology things that, that maybe you don't even pick up on. Um, and I would even say this, in the same way when it comes to infant baptism and predestination, those are without a doubt the classic orthodox teachings of the church that by and large have, were not challenged for most of church history. It's, it was the predominant practice of the church. And then recently, both of those things have been challenged uh, significantly and to the point where to practice and believe those things um, is, is kind of the, the, the script has been flipped so that, um, so that it, it's kind of strange to actually believe in these doctrines that have been believed and practiced for so long. I would say the same thing about covenant theology, whether you know it or not. Um, it, it, is, um, it is the classic theological framework of the church. It is the classic way of understanding the scriptures. But, and again, you may not know this unless you're heavy into it, but it's not taught at all really anymore in the churches, particularly evangelical churches, um, which are so greatly influenced um, by uh, the, the, the rise of evangelicalism, the Baptist church, and, and so forth. I am today going to, um, I'm going to do what I did the past two times, and I'm going to, one of the things I'm going to do at the beginning is kind of share with you what is most commonly believed, it's this thing called dispensationalism, we're going to talk about that, but what is most commonly believed in the church today and if you grew up as just a good old-fashioned conservative Christian, that's what you were taught. And you didn't know you were being taught, but that's what you were being taught. So what, what is commonly believed in our context, and I'm going to kind of go through that system and then say, we don't believe any of what I just said. So I'm going to kind of outline what's typically, um, what, what is typically thought of as a way of understanding the scriptures and God and his purposes and history and so forth. I'm going to go through that. Um, and I'm not going to spend much time critiquing it. I, I'm more just going to kind of show you that, and then I'm going to offer, begin to offer covenant theology as an alternative. But I'm not going to get down into the nuances of covenant theology t- uh, this morning. I, it will, um, we'll do that in the coming weeks. This, this week, I'm just going to kind of give a brief, broad introduction to the theology as a system. But let me start um, with just a couple definitions that I'll continue to come back to. Um, Let me define covenant theology first. Um, And this is really cool. I mean, we are so high-tech at TCPC now. Watch this. Got my laser pointer. Hang on. Covenant theology. (laughs) Huh? You want me to write something? Woo! All right. Anyway. (laughs) Covenant theology. An interpretive framework that organizes the story of Scripture... And thus, the purposes of God in history according to the foundation theology of covenant. So what I'm saying there is um, covenant theology is a way to interpret and view the scriptures, the story of scripture. And of course, as you view and study the story of scripture, you are therefore implying that that is what God's doing in the world. The scriptures is the history of God's redemption in the world. So an interpretive framework that organizes, that sees, you know, you look at your Bible and it's 66 different books of all different genres. You've got poetry, you've got historical narrative, you've got apocalyptic literature, you've got gospel, you've got epistles, you've got all these different, what, how do you 
what do you do with this big book? Well, theologians have, have organized it, um, and, and the predominant framework, uh, interpretive framework, is covenant theology. And it does so according to a foundational principle of covenant. Covenant theology believes that covenant is at the very heart of God, the very heart of Scripture, the very heart of history. Okay, so what is covenant? Um, Paul, why isn't this working? Oop, what'd I do? See, there goes my fancy technology. What'd I do? Oh, shoot, hang on. So I just hit it, right? Hit. What? That is not what's on my screen. Okay, here we go. Paul Adams. Yeah, you stay right there. Seriously, I just, I just hit the screen, right? Just, okay. All right. And we were looking so good. All right, covenant theology. So what is covenant? In its most basic form, a covenant is a relational, and that, that, that part is, is important. It's a relational commitment between two parties. Um, and notice I'm phrasing it, it as a commitment more than agreement. Um, a covenant is something deeper than just something we agree upon. And it is something more personal than just a casual agreement. It's a relational commitment between two parties. A biblical covenant, um, which we're going to see throughout, I'm going to add kind of two layers to this. Um, a biblical covenant um, would be, what, what, what's unique about it is that it is, um, it is unilateral, it's sovereignly administered. In other words, God enters into biblical covenants. He doesn't come and say, hey man, would you like to enter into a relationship? And let's, 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 let's work out the terms of the agreement. It's a unilateral, sovereignly administered covenant. So if you and I were to make a covenant, we would work on the terms, we would sign the covenant, and we would, we would agree upon that. When God makes a covenant, it is sovereign and it is unilateral. The second nuance to a biblical covenant is that it is life and death. Um, c- biblical covenants are unto death. So either we keep the covenant and we live ultimate life, or we don't and we die. Um, there's, no, there's no smallness to biblical covenants. So it's a relational commitment between two parties. That is how, and we're going to get to the second, that is how we view the scriptures as God, who is in himself a covenant God. We're going to see that. Who's been making covenants with himself for eternity past. Covenanted with creation and covenanted in redemption. And what is the story of scripture? It is the, the playing out of that covenant that God has made with his people. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me start um, by talking about the different way to interpret. Now, now if, if, you, if, you, if, if you're a, a theology nerd and you like this stuff and, and study this stuff, you know that there's, it's far more nuanced with, even within covenant theology and even within dispensationalism. But the other way to view scripture, and this is, again, broad brushstrokes, is not covenant theology, it's dispensationalism. Okay, and what I'm gonna I'm gonna go over dispensationalism and and what you like I said what you need to know is this is primarily what the church teaches and believes and whether you know it or not you probably uh, probably have been taught this and believe this. See, look. Oh, you put a slide in. Mm. 
All right. <laughs> Let me tell the story not from a covenant worldview, but from a dispensational worldview. Dispensational obviously means that, 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 that God uh, relates to man in different dispensations throughout history. And um, this, again, this is, a, if by, by chance you're a passionate dispensationalist, I'd love that we can get engaged about that. Um, but if you're a passionate dispensationalist, you're probably not going to like how I do this now because you know it's more nuanced. I think there's like eight dispensations that God does. But um, I don't know. I'm glad you're here. But... Um, this, is, this is a broad brushstroke of how, uh, how American Christianity typically views the Bible. Okay, it starts with the story of Israel. This is the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is the story of Israel, which is the chosen people of God, and that is paramount. In dispensationalism, there is a, there is a, 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 a distinction between Israel and the church, and they are very passionate about that distinction, Okay. And so, and, and, and of those two, Israel and the church, Israel is far more important than us, okay? Um, the all of history is all about Israel. And it all got started in the Old Testament in the story of Israel, the chosen people of God. That God chose a people, and then you've got all of these promises, all of these prophecies, all of these types and systems and everything, everything that we in this church, and this is what we'll get into later, um, in the coming weeks. But everything we see in this church as being fulfilled in Christ, they say is just for ethnic Israel. So it starts with the story of Israel, which as you know, if you study the Old Testament, it's a, it is a, um, in many ways a sad story um, that doesn't work out very well. But dispensationalism teaches that God is not going to abandon that story. They would say covenant theology seems to abandon that story, though we don't, but that, they, that God has not abandoned the story. It moves on to the first coming of Jesus, who is the Messiah of Israel, the Savior of Israel. And when we say Israel, we're saying ethnic Jewish people. Story of Israel. Now, what that did with the coming of Jesus, and that's what we obviously have been studying in, in, in Mark, the Messiah, and so forth. What that did is it entered into a second, a, 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 what they call a parenthesis in history, which would be the age of the church. The age of the church is a, is a parenthetical age to Israel's story, okay? So we are not a part of Israel's story in any real um, fulfillment sense. You've got this story that began in the Old Testament that's running. You've got the coming of the Messiah of Israel. And then where we are now is this brief parenthesis. And God has purposes for that parenthesis, namely to make Israel jealous and, and um, wake Israel up to their rebellion. But we are the age of the church, and that's where we are now. Now, of course, there's um, overlap there as ethnic Jews believe in Jesus and, um, and become a part of that, you know, but, 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 but it's still not about us. It's still not about Gentiles. It's still not about the church. It's still about Israel. We are only these, uh, thank you, God, for allowing us to get to be a part of this in some way as a way to awaken the, uh, the, the story that he's really passionate about, which is his nation. So what happens to the church is this thing called the rapture. Um, I 
The arrow up is rapture. So the arrow up is a rapture, and here's what you see. Um, the, the language on there that's supposed to be up there is um, the second coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus, part one. <laughs> um, they, divide, they divide the coming of Jesus into different parts. The second coming of Jesus, part one, the rapture of the church. Now this is what, we're at the tribulation, yes, keep me there. Um, the second coming of Jesus, which is part one, which that's the rapture of the church. Now, you hear the rapture talk, right? That's become so popular. Um, that's what the rapture is, is you've got this parentheses of the church age. Well, that's going to come to come to an end, and Jesus is going to come and take up the church out of this so that the story can get back to where it was going. And when the, rap, when the church is raptured up, the next one is this tribulation and there'll be this, uh, you know, and, and, and it, we're talking about the literal, tri- the, the, co- the cloud with a storm. Yeah, there we go. The great tribulation, this is the judgment of God on earth. And Christians, the church will be raptured out of that. But now what do I do? Just click that. Okay. Christians will be, rap- the church will be raptured out of that so we don't have to experience that. And there'll be a great tribulation. And um, this is God's judgment on the earth for an age. And then this will lead to... Uh, the second move here, which button do I push? Uh, second coming of Jesus, part two. So they divide the coming of Jesus into kind of two parts. Uh, he comes for the church, and then he's going to return fully with the church. So he's going to come back with the church, and this will usher into the fulfillment of the millennial reign, which is the restoration of Israel and the fulfillment of all God's Old Testament promises. Okay? So you've got this story that started in the Old Testament. All these promises and all the prophecies and all that stuff. You've got Jesus coming, which gives this parenthetical age of the church. Then Jesus comes, he takes the church out of there in the rapture. There's this great tribulation. He returns with the church, which ushers in this millennial reign that will take place in Jerusalem with the nation of Israel who will rule the earth um, and and the fulfillment of all God's ultimate testament promises. And then at the end of that a thousand year reign is the final judgment. Uh, Final judgment of the living and the dead, ushering in eternal age of new heavens and new earth and the story is over. That is, what I just said is, whether you know it or not, and whether you can articulate it or not, that is what American evangelicalism teaches and believes and practices. It has implications in so many different ways, the way you view uh, the nation of Israel, the way you view Jews, the way you view um, um, how you live your life, what's important, um, where histories go. It has implications everywhere, and we're going to get into those implications Um, How in the world did this system that is literally 1830s, 1930s, 100, I mean, we're talking 150-ish years old. That's how new this is. How did it happen so that this has completely taken over the church and become the only way people view things? In fact, there are many people who, if you you push back against this, they'll think you are a crazy liberal Christian um, and, and have lost your mind. How did it happen like that? It all started with a guy by the name of, James, of John Darby in 1830s, the Plymouth Brethren Movement. A guy named John Darby who invented this system, came up with this idea of the rapture. 
And then there are a couple cultural movements that were taking place. Liberalism was taking over the historical traditions of the faith, which obviously historically have taught covenant theology and so forth. And dispensationalism became a conservative option to what was going on in the church, which was this liberal movement. Um, it had some things like the emphasis on the last judgments very emphasized. This is the last judgment. Jesus is coming back. Um, the rapture talk and all this stuff. It's very emphasis on the last judgment, um, which was appealing, and its support of the nation of Israel, which, you know, when, when you start getting into the politics of all that and how that all works together, um, it became a very appealing system. So it kind of became a conservative alternative to liberalism. And so it actually became, and some of you might be here, it actually became equated to be a conservative Christian is to be a dispensationalist. I mean, that's what is conservative Christianity. It is believing this stuff. Something else happened. A guy by the name of Dwight Moody, you've heard of him. Um, He bought into this, and he was obviously a very influential evangelical Christian, Moody Bible Institute. Um, But probably the biggest thing was um, the Schofield Reference Bible, which was the first Bible where all of the reference notes were dispensational notes. And so for, I mean, if you're, if you're older here, you knew you grew up with a Schofield Bible. And so it just taught you this theology and the way it interpreted all the notes, all the applications, everything was dispensationalism. And so the Schofield Bible took over. Then they got an institution in Dallas Theological um, Seminary. DTS is a dispensational seminary. And then came Tim LaHaye and the Left Behind fictional series. And... Um, you know, Kirk Cameron is on the screen living out dispensationalism and it becomes popular. Um, and so what has happened is to be a conservative evangelical is to be dispensational. Now, I say all that. Um, if you come from, uh, if, you, if you grew up in, in, in conservative evangelicalism, I have a lot of appreciation for things that uh, dispensational has offered, namely a bastion of conservative um, thought in the church, but when you, what you need to know is that at TCPC, and not just at TCPC, in the Reformed tradition, not just in the Reformed tradition, in, in really every tradition, this is really new thinking, and it's, and it's, and it's fairly off-base. And it misses, really, the entire point of Scripture. And um, if this is your theology, you're going to have a hard time understanding a lot of our other theologies, like infant baptism, honestly, like election. These, these things flow out of a system of covenant thought. We are covenant theologians. We, we believe in covenant. Our seminary, our undergrad, covenant college, covenant seminary. You hear me say the word covenant all the time. Covenant, 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 covenant children is how we talk about our children. We are a covenant theological church. What is that? What does that mean? How does that differ? That's what we're going to be looking at the rest of the weeks. But let me give you a very quick overview. Um, is this working or... Okay, there's my middle screen. Now I'm back. Who's doing that? You know what I'm going to do next week? I'm going to have my whiteboard here, and I'm going to scribble. Everybody gave me such a hard time last... Aha, okay. Everybody gave me such a hard time because they can't understand my scribbles, but it's better than this. All right. Here, here, covenant theology. What do we mean when we say covenant theology? Tip, the, the covenant theology views um, God and history through, primarily through the lens of three covenants. Okay? This is very important, foundationally. The first is covenant of redemption. 
This is covenant relationship between God and himself. What we believe is that God has forever existed in a covenant, in a covenant with himself, that the whole of creation was a covenantal agreement between the Godhead. Um, The Father ordained, the Son accomplishes, the Spirit applies. Even the very even the very notion of creation, um, of, 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 of Trinitarian relationships spilling out and creating things was a covenantal act. Now what this means, I, I, I'll get behind the fancy language and just say this. What this means is that we believe at the very heart of God and therefore of all existence is relationship. What we believe is that God exists. That's, that's, that's why we have a Trinitarian understanding of God, that he has forever existed in relationship to himself. And that's important. And so he has always covenanted with himself and that creation itself was a covenantal act. It was agreement within the Godhead. And the redemption is a Trinitarian agreement. That after the fall, how are we going to fix this mess? Let us us make man in our own image. Okay, they messed it up. How are we going to fix this? That there is a covenantal agreement that that, that, that the Father has ordained he has ordained the plan of salvation. And he has come to, and he has said to the son, you know what this is going to take? And the son says, yes, I promise I'll do it. And so you see him in the, in the, in the, in the gospels living in submission to the father's plan, covenanting with the father. And then he says, I will send the spirit and he will apply this. That all of redemption is this Trinitarian covenantal agreement that we're going to do whatever it takes to redeem the world. So it begins with the covenant of redemption, which is the, is, is the covenantal relationship between God and himself. All right, then there's this covenant of works. All right, this is the covenant relationship between God and those in Adam. Here's what we mean. Initially, the setup was this. It was really simple. I'm going to create man, and I'm going to do something unique with my image bearers. I'm going to be in a relationship with them. I'm going to be in a covenant. Again, just covenant relationship. You can, you can use that language interchangeably. I'm going to be in a relationship with them. Animals don't make covenants. Rocks don't make covenants. We make covenants. We are relational beings. And God said, I'm going to be in a, in a covenantal relationship with humanity. I'm going to create Adam and Eve, and I am going to bind myself in covenantal love to this relationship. And that original agreement is called the covenant of works. Don't let the word works throw you off there. That is, is still a gracious covenant. We didn't deserve it. He didn't, we didn't deserve to be created. We didn't deserve for him to enter into a relationship. It's still all of grace, but it's labeled covenant of works. And so basically what he did is he set up an agreement between God, um, between God and man um, that is promises of blessing for obedience and promise of judgment for disobedience. That was the basic setup in Genesis 2, Right. If you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. But I'm giving you the whole garden. Eat, have fun, enjoy abundant life, enjoy this relationship with me. Don't do this. So there were were conditions to the covenant. There was works. He set up this works-based covenant in the beginning. Now, why did he even do that? And it's established that he alone is God. There has to be some way for him to say, I'm in charge here of this covenant. I'm in charge in our relationship. So I'm going to give you command for you to obey. Just so that you know, you obey me, not the other way around. I'm in charge of this relationship, not you. And for a relationship to even be possible, there has to be some form of, 
um, command and obedience, submission and all those different things. And so he created this relational covenant, the covenant of works. And this includes all human race. No one can get out of the covenant of works. By birth, you're in this. You are in Adam, is the language of Scripture. You are in Adam as your federal head, which means that you, every single human being on the planet who has ever existed, belongs in a covenant of relationship with God, is underneath the covenant of works, and every single person has disobeyed the covenant of works and rebelled against God, and therefore we all must receive the punishment for the covenant, for breaking the covenant, which is death. That's what we're talking about, is that all have sinned, all deserve death, and so forth. So it's this covenant of works that he enters into with all of humanity. We mess it up, that should have been the end. That should have been the end. Instead, and this is where we'll go next week, instead he enters into what's called the covenant of grace. This is a covenant relationship between God and those in Christ. So you have covenant relationship between him, God and himself, covenant relationship between God and humanity, those in Adam, and then a covenant of grace, which is a relationship between God and those who are in the Redeemer. Basically what he says, and this is where we're going next week, basically what he says is I'm going to send a Redeemer and everyone who is in Christ, the second Adam is how he's called, right? I'm going to start a new humanity. I'm going to start a new race of people. Anyone who is in Christ will not be subject to the covenant of works, but will be subject to the covenant of grace. That somehow this covenant of grace is going to fix the penalty of the covenant of works. Now, that happened in Genesis 3.15. The rest of your Bible is him pulling off the covenant of grace through Jesus. The re- every single word that you read And 3.15 on is him fixing this problem of we are in Adam, we're under the judgment of the covenant of works, but he has promised a new covenant, a covenant of grace, a covenant that we don't deserve, a covenant that is going to fix the covenant of works by being in Christ. Now, at this point, we have no idea how he's going to pull that off because he's already made a covenant. He can't break the covenant. He said, if you disobey, you're going to die. And now he's coming along and said, oh, I love you too much. I'll start a new covenant. This will be a gracious covenant. And somehow I'll be able to do this with, without breaking my covenant of works. And there's that tension. Are they going to die or are you going to be gracious to them? And it's all resolved in the covenant of grace where Jesus comes and is the hero. Come back next week. Come back next week. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to start from Genesis 3.15. And I'm going to tell you in 30 minutes the entire story of Scripture. Um, and we'll be able to pull it off. We're going to go... We're going to go through all of the covenants, show you how this all plays out. We'll show you the, 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 the Israel, Gentile, we'll, we'll get into it all. And then in the, in the next couple of weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at some applications. But be here next week so that we can go through the whole story of God's faithfulness in the covenant of grace. All right, let me pray. Lord, thank you for being a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God that you cannot say no to your promises, that you cannot fail, that you cannot break the covenant. Though we have broken the covenant, you have made a new covenant, the covenant of grace that will cover over our failures in the older covenant. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have pulled it off, that you have been able to be gracious to those who are in Adam. Lord, by bringing us 
into yourself and all of the work that you have done on our behalf. You fulfilled the covenant of works on our behalf so that we now are not under the covenant of works, but we are under grace. Praise your name, Lord. Praise your name just for wanting us. Praise your name, triune God, for just creating and wanting a relationship with humanity. And praise your name for redeeming what we have destroyed. I pray that this series would not just be intellect, but it would lead us to a deep, deep love of our Redeemer, the Savior of humanity, the Savior of history, the hero of the story, the Messiah of grace. Help us to see you with fresh eyes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.